All right, as I said, Galatians chapter 4, and just as we uh, do that, I'm going to put this up on stage here for a second, and um, I'll get to that in a few moments, all right? But for now, we're in Galatians chapter 4, and we're in the second week in our series, um, God with Us, the astounding, by the way, don't you just love this print here? Isn't this beautiful? I just love this so much. I'm so thankful for our team here. I think... We actually printed this. I got this in our home now. Just printed on paper and kind of got in our home because it's so, it's so nice. And that wasn't in my notes. But we'll just go back over here for a second, all right? But just to, I just love the beauty of what's being displayed for the glory of Jesus Christ because the incarnation is worth it. Remember, um, the incarnation is, by definition, the incarnation is the infleshing of God. The infleshing, it's where the Word became flesh, where God incarnate, okay? Um, the word uh, incarnation is coming from the root um, carne. Uh, those who um, are Spanish in their background or speak Spanish, you will be very familiar in other languages as well. Carne, flesh, or meat. And isn't it interesting, this week I was out for dinner, and it was an Italian restaurant, and they also carry this word too in their roots as well, and there was an option for a pizza carne. So meat lovers, so I said, I have to do it, right? I looked at my wife. I'm saying, the incarnation's everywhere. We're having incarnation pizza, all right? <laughs> so we did that, pizza carne, and of course, flesh or meat. But this is the wonder that the Lord Jesus Christ allowed himself to take on flesh. Now, get the theology in front of you. Be blessed. Be excited. Lord willing, we celebrate and remember the Lord's Supper at the end of this message today, okay? Think about it. The incarnation, the word of God taking on flesh and blood that he might die for our sin, that we might be saved, as we hold the symbols of the incarnation, the carne, flesh, and the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all connected. Where there's the incarnation, there must be the crucifixion. And so today, we see from beginning to end, as we uh, end, we're holding the symbols. Let it, let it just bless you immensely. As you hold the symbols of the Lord's Supper, think of a manger and the God who became flesh to die for you. Don't let that pass over. You just, eh. Think about it. Treasure it. Revel in it. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It's, it's the Lord. And that's the, that's the purpose of this series. That we would have a clearer vision upon the incarnation. Because when we see the incarnation clearly, we have renewed worship. So where there's renewed vision, there's renewed worship. Where there's renewed worship, listen, there's renewed joy. And how many of us here today, we need renewed vision and worship? And you want to see an example of vision, worship, and joy? Here's an example of this. This is an artist's rendition of Simeon. I, I got to show this at least once a year, okay? It's, I say this every year. I have no apology for it. Probably my favorite part of the Christmas story is when Simeon picks up the Christ child and knows he is holding God, okay? And so this artist's rendition, I got to get this in print too and put it in my house somewhere. That would be awesome. All right, so Simeon here, notice here, okay? His eyes are closed. He's never seen so clearly. Make sense? He's never seen more clearly in his entire life because he knows he is holding God. So where there's renewed vision, listen, there's renewed work. You think he's worshiping right now? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, he is worshiping his face off. He is so filled with God's Spirit because he sees so clearly. Listen, you want to live this life and you want to worship idols and you want to walk around and try to get more money to buy more stuff that ends up with nothing, you won't have any vision. You'll have a vision for that which empties your life. 
and hollows out your soul. He could care less about the next paycheck right now because he knows all he has and all he needs, he's got in his arms, okay? Where there's vision, there's worship. You think he's feeling some joy? Is that a tear of sadness? Ah, uh, no. That is a tear of unexplainable, indestructible joy, all rooted, fully, solely founded in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to earth. We had the same opportunity this season. We have the same opportunity every day we live as Christians for vision, worship, and joy. I've always marveled at the theme of joy in Christmas. And I pray, I pray for you, I pray for me, that we would have joy no matter where we are right now. Some of you are here right now, you're disheartened, discouraged, fighting depression. Some of you have been devastated by different circumstances that happened in your life. All of that, all of that can be overcome by the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean the trials aren't trials. It doesn't mean the feelings aren't real. What it means is Jesus Christ is greater. He's greater than all the feelings we have and the situations we find ourselves. Look at these verses that are found within the biblical Christmas story and look at the theme of joy. Okay, Luke chapter 1 this is the angel Gabriel speaking to Zechariah about the birth of his son. Zechariah's son was who again? John the Baptist. Yes, okay? And notice this. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at John the Baptist's birth because he will be the forerunner. He will prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Luke 1.44 now. Look at this. For behold, now this is awesome, okay? So this is Mary greeting Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has John the Baptist in her womb at six months. Mary walks into the room to greet Elizabeth. Look what happens. For behold, Elizabeth says, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for, tell me. Okay, okay, okay. Do you think it's important to have a pro-life position based on this verse? Ah, uh, yes. Do you think God cares about the life in the womb of a mother? Ah, um, uh, yes. Do you think that that life matters and that that's a reality of a human being within the formation and the miraculous understanding of how a child comes and, be, and is developed in the womb of a, of a female? Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. To the point where this child at six months leaped for joy of uh, being led by the Holy Spirit when the sound of the greeting of Mary came in because she was the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that just blows me away. And it should blow you away too. Here's another verse on joy coming up. Luke 1, 46 and 47. Mary, after this, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. That's the natural understanding of when we understand what's happening with Jesus Christ coming. Next verse. It says this, Luke 2, verse 10. This is the famous announcement, one of the most common verses in the Christmas story. And the angel said to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people that's you and me today too this message of the incarnation is good news of great great joy but there's more in the biblical christmas story i love this one so much matthew 2 10 when the wise men saw the star now, now look at look at how the holy spirit goes out of his way as he's writing god's word to indicate to us the level of joy that the wise men experienced as they saw the star that they were searching to worship the son of god okay when they saw the star, they rejoiced. Now you could stop right there and that would be good. They rejoiced exceedingly. You'd be like, okay, that, that's a lot, man. I get it. They were really happy. They were fired up about meeting the Christ child, right? But the Holy Spirit, no, 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 no. I'm not even close to being done yet. Rejoiced exceedingly, and in case you didn't get it yet, with great joy, right? So look at this sentence that the Holy Spirit has written down for us to see. Think the wise men are pretty excited? Very 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's like joy upon superabundant joy with a little more joy. This is the opportunity of Christmas, man. It overcomes everything. The reality of staring in the face of the Christ child. You look to him more. You pray to him more. You worship him more. You love him more. I'm just standing at the kitchen sink of our home this morning and just worshiping Christ through music and could not help but raise my hand by myself and just and looking up eyes closed and just the worship of us because he's so he's so beautiful he's so awesome he's so everything he's he's just he's just he, he's just all my life he's all I have he's all I want he's he's just he's everything he's joy he's love he's perfection he's just he's glory it's just that that's the opportunity we have every day we live now we're not done yet look at this here's a prophecy of joy I know I'm coming to Galatians 4 in a bit, okay? So pardon me for this, but I think this is, this is worth it. Isaiah 9, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy. The context here, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. The prophecy of Christ coming. And notice the result. Increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy. I mean, look at this. Joy, 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 joy everywhere as at the harvest and here's the example as when they are glad when an army defeats their enemy and they divide the spoil that's one of the most um joy-filled glad-filled times um an army can experience when they defeat in victory and then they begin to divide up the spoil the treasures of the people they conquered that's one of the equations that they're relating to when the lord jesus christ shines his light this is the joy available to all of us and then the last verse here, John 16. Here's what Jesus says about this joy, okay? He says to his disciples, he says to us today, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. Okay, take this, okay, for what it is. This is truth. And no one will take your joy from you. Okay, wait, who's that for? Who isn't that for today? No one can steal your joy in Jesus Christ. No one. The joy that he gives, he gives to you, and this joy is eternal. It doesn't mean we don't have bad days. It's the whole point of our bad days that the joy overcomes them as we follow with our lives the Lord Jesus Christ. So no wonder it says in Luke chapter 2, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard because that's what the story of the incarnation is does so today some of you are distracted some of you are distant from the manger some of you are discouraged some of you are disheartened again some of you have been devastated i pray for you today i pray for me today that the joy of the lord jesus christ the love that is found in the father through the incarnation would supersede overcome all of this that you would be utterly convinced that the closer you draw to him the more life is worth being lived. Let me just pray as we officially get into our text now. So Father, briefly but with all sincerity, would you increase the joy in this room now? Would you speak to those, Lord, who are struggling, suffering? Would you move so powerfully in those, Lord, who are maybe their vision is so foggy, um, they have a hard time seeing right now, I pray supernaturally you will move through this time and you will bring great freedom and love and light. That's why you came. That's why you lived. That's why you died. That's why you rose again. And that's why you will return one day so soon. 
that we would know fully the joy that is found in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your patience in that. I hope, though, there's great encouragement to you, and that's obviously part of our message today, but we will begin officially in the text that we are, Galatians 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 4 to 7. We'll take a few moments doing this. We're not going to belabor this, but we're going to see. Now, some of you are like, incarnation text, Galatians 4, really? And I know, it's pretty neat, huh? It's pretty neat. So if you didn't know this was an incarnation text, hopefully you will by the end of our time together. Our theme today from this text is incarnation. Uh, he was sent to set us free. He was sent that we might be set free. Galatians 4 verse 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. There it is. I mean, I wrote my margin there. Incarnation. God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Notice the conclusion here, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through uh, God. I want us to see a few things that will renew our minds right away regarding Christmas and specifically the incarnation, just from the first half of verse Four. And these will be on the screen beside me here so you can see them and observe them. Notice this about Christmas in verse 4 of Galatians 4. First of all, uh, notice God's timing. Notice God's timing as it relates to the incarnation. Loved ones, what do we know about the timing of God? We know this. God is never late. God is never late. Our impatience does not make God late. Our impatience is a form of sin as we fail to trust and believe God that he is much smarter than we are. So God is never late. God has perfect timing. Look at verse 4 where it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent. God knew the right time, the perfect time to send his son into the world. He knew precisely. I love when Gabriel is speaking to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1, and Zechariah is questioning the fact that they will give birth to a son because of age and whatnot. Gabriel says this almost in frustration to Zechariah. He says, he says this, um, I stand in the presence of God. That alone is awesome. I was sent to speak to you. So, so Gabriel's sitting there. He's standing in the presence of God, and God's like, go now. He says, I was sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. God is absolutely in charge. His timing is perfect. When the time was right, he sent forth his son. He knew exactly the precise time to do it in the life of his son. Listen, listen. And God's timing is perfect in the life of his children as well. That's you and me. There's an application right here, right from verse 4, in the fullness of time had come. God's timing is always perfect. Can you step back far enough? Can you trust that the timing of God for your life will be perfect based on the things we want to see, based on the things we think we have not seen? You know how powerful it is to step back and say, God, I would have chosen to have it this way, but I know you are not ignoring me. I know that there's nothing beyond your control. I know that you are perfect, so I submit, surrender my life. I surrender my situation. I choose to trust you now as opposed to complaining to you that you are not meeting the desires at my time and in my way. It's powerful Christianity right there. And that's the way we're called to live. God's timing. Secondly, God's sovereignty. 
God's sovereignty. When the fullness of time had come, um, God sent. So according to Galatians 4, the first half of verse 4, who's in charge? God is. Um, Who's in control? God is. Who's deciding? God is. Who's orchestrating the events of the Christmas story, let alone the events of the entire universe? God is. I mean, it's marvelous to see God's sovereignty reigning over every single aspect of the Christmas story uh, relating around the incarnation. It's marvelous to see that. Whether it's the shepherds or the angels or the wise men or Mary or Elizabeth or John the Baptist, he is in control of every single detail. I've said this many times with the history of our church, and I'd love to say it again. I just I marvel at the fact that the reason it's the year 2016 is because all the, this is what the God-haters of the world, they just will never admit they hate it so much. They hate it so much. It's 2016 A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Our entire globe ultimately revolves around this event of the incarnation. The entire globe. And the atheists, those who again hate God and reject Him, they just, it bugs them so much. But isn't that, isn't that just a marvel? Okay, like, so if I'm not a believer... And just that fact alone caused me to sit back and be like, how did that happen? How could it be that the entire timing of the world is centered on the birth of Christ? So they try to explain it away. and No, no, you can't. It's before Christ and after Christ. Every God in his sovereignty decided that all the time is centered on his son because the entire universe is centered on his son. Hey, loved ones, let that encourage you. No one's ever going to change that. Because God decided it would be. Love it. Love him. God is sovereign. Revel in that. Rest in his sovereignty. God's timing, God's sovereignty, God's mercy. God's mercy. Notice, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. What I want you to see here, okay? God's plan for redemption. It wasn't like, okay, my son, um, I'm going to send you to earth. You're going to get there. You're going to be born, grow up a little bit, learn how to talk and stuff like that. And then we'll kind of take a survey and we'll assess what do we do from there. We'll see. Do you have to die? Maybe you don't. Maybe we'll just kind of see how things are going. Things will get better. No, no, The plan from the very beginning before the foundation of the world, God knew what was going to happen because he's sovereign. And in his mercy, God's plan was, I'm sending my son to die for the sins of, of the ones I've created. There was no option. The whole time, the plan was to send the son to die. What is that? That's the mercy of God. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Listen, for you and for me, that's mercy, that's love, that's grace, that's awesome. Look again at verse four. God sent forth his son, notice now, born of woman, born under the law. So here, loved ones, if you notice, here again we have that theological term I mentioned last week, hypostatic union, That is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. One person, two natures. Can you see in this verse where Jesus is labeled as fully God and where Jesus is all indicate he is fully man? Look here, it says, God sent forth his son, fully God. The son of God. God himself came down to earth. Now notice, born of woman, fully man. So right here in this verse, here we have the reality of the nature of Jesus Christ, one person, two natures, fully God, fully man, born of woman is stressing the incarnation. And then Paul says to the church of Galatia that he was born under the law. Now why did he say that? Why is it important that we learn Jesus was born under the law? This is once again the staggering humility of Christmas. 
Okay, so think, okay? Put on your theological minds for a second. Pay attention. Open your eyes and your hearts right now and your minds to learn, okay? Jesus is the one who gave the law. The one who gave the law dwells on earth as a, a human being, fully man, places himself under the law, like he subjects himself to the law that he gave, that he might live a perfect life to fulfill the law. Okay, so track with me here. The one who gives the law, because he demands perfection, puts himself under the law. He then fulfills the law to live a perfect life that he might meet the demands of the law because his father demands perfection, that he might become a curse of the law on our behalf to save us from what we could not do. That is awesome. Jesus Christ was born under the law in a staggering form of humility that he might become a curse for us, that his blessing might be seen in our life, that our sin might be placed upon him. So I told you each week, I'm going to try to do Christmas hymn lyrics to songs. Here's one right here from Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrows grow. Why? Um, Nor thorns infest the ground. You might as well just put weeds in there, eh? Hate weeds, thorns. Same thing, right? Because they're just the curse of sin, okay? He comes to make his blessings flow. That's why Christ came. He came to become a curse for us far as the curse is found. He comes to save the world from its sin. Are you so sick of your sin? I'm so sick of sin. I hate sin. I hate sin here. Some of you are here right now and you're just so sick of sin. It's killing you, emptying you, devastating you. It doesn't have to be that way. Jesus Christ came to set you free from sin. Jesus Christ came to release you from the bondage of sin. In fact, look at our context of the book of Galatians. Look at chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 3, verse 13. Look at it there. Galatians 3, 13. Look at this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So do you see that? This is why he came, born under law, to put himself under the law, to fulfill the law, to become a curse for us in the law, to take on our sin that we might be set free if we choose to believe by grace through faith. It's a pretty good deal, loved ones. It's a pretty good deal. So notice here, notice what's happening in Galatians 4 so far. We have incarnation fact, the facts of the incarnation. God sent his son, born of woman, fully man, born under the law for the reason that he came and the facts that he did this. We go from incarnation fact now to incarnation fruit in verses 5, 6, and 7. And now we come to our official outline, which we will move through quite quickly now. And the question we're answering really is this, why Christmas? Why was Jesus Christ sent? Why the incarnation? And we answer that now from verses 5, 6, and 7. Here's the first answer to this. Again, our official outline now, which is God sent forth his son. Why? Number one, to redeem me from my sin. He sent forth his son to redeem me from my sin. So look at verse 5, okay? So we have our context, I hope, very clearly presented. And now notice the cause. To redeem those who were under the law. So Jesus Christ was born under the law. He was sent to redeem those who were under the law. What does redeem mean? Redeem means to purchase out of. 
Redeem means to buy back from. It's more than rescue. It's rescuing by buying someone out of slavery. Jesus as our redeemer, that song and that word comes up a lot in the songs we sing. Jesus as our redeemer paid our ransom. He purchased us out of sin and Satan's grasp and slavery to death and gave us life. This is why he came. This is why the incarnation happened, that he might live perfectly and then die that we might be saved. So this is why the incarnation carries so much joy. Because when Christ arrives on earth, the payment for our sin has arrived. So, as you're opening up your presence this season, please, please, let us discipline ourselves. And we, we really, we really, really need to do this and should do this as people who call themselves true, authentic, mature followers of Jesus Christ. As you open up, let me just ask you this too. Like, genuinely right now, before you and God, are you more excited about material presence this Christmas than you are about the reality of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, given to you? As, I mean, just answer that honestly to your heart right now. I don't know what the answer is. God does, and you do too. Are you more excited about what you might get this Christmas materially than you are even about the truths of this message here today? If you are more excited about material things, that's a place for, I need to repent. Like my heart is not in a good place. Because anyone who's here is like, I'll follow Christ, and you honestly, see, we prove what we love by what we think about, what we choose to uh, spend our time on, by what we watch, by what we do. What we spend our money on. It really shows where our hearts are at. The discipline I pray for this church, for you and me, is that we would understand that when we open Galatians 4 verse 5 up and we read that he has redeemed those, me, you, under the law, this is the greatest present you could ever dwell upon. There is no present that comes close. The fact that we have been purchased out of our slavery to sin. So this Christmas, my prayer is that we would understand that the gift presented in Galatians chapter 4 verse 5 is a gift of eternal value, of full and complete perfect redemption that any temporal gift of this world cannot even hold a candle to. I can't force you to do that. I can't come up alongside you and say you have to do this, but this is the desire that we would have before the Lord. And that's why words like come up in O Holy Night, O Holy Night. Who likes O Holy Night? Yes, yes. It's awesome, isn't it? I think those who didn't put their hands up, you just want to, but you just didn't rehearse enough. Whatever. Hey, right over here. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining, okay? Now, now watch this. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Incarnation fact, okay? Now we go incarnation fruit. Um, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared. Okay, renewed vision. He appears and you see him. Now I'm seeing clearly. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Now, we don't know for sure exactly the author of O Holy Night, what he meant by this phrase. What I take that to be is, when I see the Savior, all of a sudden, when I see my eyes by faith upon Jesus Christ sent to pay for my sins to give me life, all of a sudden, when I see by faith the reality of Christ, I know why I live. Now I have purpose. When I got saved at age 22, I could not articulate enough I know why I live. I know why I'm here. I know why my purpose in life. All of a sudden, there's meaning to everything of my existence. There's nothing like. There's just nothing like it. That's why Christ. All of it. Why? Why is the suicide rate in our society multiplying 
like almost on a monthly basis. Because when you remove God from the equation, there's nothing more to live for. You are emptying out our society of any true and ultimate purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you're left with is yourself and a belief system of nothing. That will not work. The world can say whatever it wants to. It can come up with all the excuses ever. They can try to manufacture the system of living, but the reality is no human being will ever truly be satisfied apart from life in Jesus Christ. So what happens? Lives look around. They say, well, I'm not living for that. I'm living for that. There's no worth in myself. I'm just going to kill myself. It's, what, it's so tragic. It's so sad. It's inevitable when you start to cancel out the meaning of God that we are image bearers of God and made for a purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who knows? Maybe there's someone here right now and you're in a very dark place and you've been contemplating all sorts of different thoughts. Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the one that allows you. He's the one that allows you to see why you live and the purpose that comes and the overwhelming worth that is found in the soul. That's the incarnation. That's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm alive. I'm alive. I will never die. I will never die. doesn't mean life gets easier. It just means life gets so much better. So much better. And the life to come when Jesus Christ returns, well, it's going to be, it's going to be Amazing. It's going to be perfect. And that's why we live. Okay, so notice. Renewed vision, renewed worship, the worth of my soul in Jesus Christ, renewed joy. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Of course it does. You rejoice because you understand. I mean, how tired is the world in sin? How tired are you? I'm so fatigued here. Just so exhausted. Jesus Christ is the one that allows us to continue because there's a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and what a beautiful line. So the darkness of our world, but you see the incarnation and this is why the Bible in Malachi 4 describes prophetically Jesus Christ's birth as the son of righteousness, S-U-N, the son of righteousness. Risen, hark the herald, risen with healing in its wings. Jesus Christ rises as the son of righteousness. So in a very, very dark world, good time of year for us to think about this metaphor. It's so dark in the morning at night. But to see the sun rise, the new and glorious morn, that's the gospel. That's the manger. That's the thrill of hope. That's the source of joy. That we have been redeemed from our sin through the birth of Jesus Christ. Think about it. What sin puts hold on us and Jesus Christ comes to set us free from. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Why? To redeem us. Secondly, this. To adopt me as his own. So we go from redemption now to adoption. Look at verse 5, okay? So to redeem us, those who are under the law, so that, right? So we are redeemed through Christ. And the implication of this is if you're redeemed, then you're adopted. You're adopted as a son or daughter of the Lord, that we might receive adoption as sons. Now that's so powerful. This is the powerful doctrine of adoption. That is why when we sing that song, we sang that song last weekend, um, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I am a child of God. When we sing that, the volume goes up. The volume goes up because as we sing that, our minds are being renewed. Wait a second. I'm a child of God. 
I have literally been adopted into the family of God. I am safe. I'm secure. I cannot lose. I belong to him. All the meaning of my life. There's nothing like it. So the volume goes up because there's often tears in our eyes and rolling down our cheeks because I have nothing to be afraid of. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there's trials all around me. But at the end of the day, I'm secure. I'm safe. I'm his. God has a picture of me in his wallet, we like to say around here, right? How beautiful is that? Because, because um, I am his and he is mine. Just think of the doctrine of adoption. In the Roman world, when a family adopted a child, that child came in not one uh, ounce inferior to a biological child. The status of the adopted child was completely equal to any other biological child in the family. That's you and me in Christ. Your status as a child of God is the same, we're going to hear this too, the same as the inheritance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let the doctrine of adoption just bless you so much, okay? What's your name? Marlene? Marlene? Okay, Marlene. Um, Jesus Christ loved you so much and God the Father loved you so much that he at some point went up to you and assuming your life vibrant in, in the Lord Jesus Christ, he went up to you and chose you before the foundation of the world and he said, you, you're mine. He said, you, I want you, you're mine. You're becoming part of my family. You are now, have the same status as my son, as a co-heir of Jesus Christ and you now forever in my family and I will never ever let you go ever, ever. You cannot get rid of that. You cannot move away from that. You are in the status and the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are his daughter. You are his child because he has adopted you as his own. That makes today a pretty good day, doesn't it? Eh? Yeah. Uh, despite a health crisis, despite financial hardship, despite the difficulties of relationship, this is what overcomes and supersedes all of that. I'm a child of God, and so therefore, today's another pretty good day because I've been redeemed and then I've been adopted how powerful, how powerful uh, that is. Now, what happens when we're adopted? Look now at verse six. Verse six, it says this. So I've been redeemed and adopted, and because you are sons, notice this, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God sends his son, verse four. In verse six, God sends the spirit of his son. So what do we know? Ready? Ready? This is, this is a good moment for our church right now. If you've truly received the Son by faith, then you must also receive the Holy Spirit. You must also, there's, there's no exceptions. If you've truly received the Son, you must also receive the Spirit of the Son, because that's what happens. When you are regenerated, you receive the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate being saved and have the Spirit of God within you. So, so interesting, verse 6. Ready? This is very interesting. Ready for this? What is the proof that I'm adopted? The proof that I'm adopted is that I have God's Spirit in my heart. I prove I'm adopted by God because I have His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, in the text says, into our hearts. Now, what's the proof I have God's Spirit? The proof I have God's Spirit, according to Galatians 4, verse 6, is intimacy with the Father. He has sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father is a, um, a powerful, intimate term of endearment, um, taking off the Greek words and Aramaic words for father. No slave would ever address the head of the family as Abba, Father. 
That is a term reserved for a child, biological or adopted child. It's a wonderful, intimate term of endearment of a, of a child referring to their father. Now, the Spirit is sent into our hearts that we might cry a loud and earnest cry. That verb's strong there in verse 6. Crying out, Abba, Father. What are we learning here? I know I'm adopted if I have God's Spirit in my heart. I know I have God's Spirit in my heart through an authentic, genuine relationship of love with the Father. A relationship of intimacy. This is a good time to examine ourselves right now. Do you have a genuine, authentic relationship of intimacy with the Father? I don't care if you're the toughest guy in the room or the most tender child in this room right now. Every single person who's genuinely in relationship with the Lord in some form and in some way will cry out from their lives, Abba, Father. Not as a statement of religion. It's an expression of true relationship in Jesus Christ. Do you truly love the Lord? Do you truly have a relationship where you're interacting and you are crying out in earnest throughout your life because you love the Lord so much? That is the single greatest sign that you are genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ because you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is why the first fruit, I know it's one fruit of the Spirit, but the first fruit mentioned as part of the fruit is love. Love for the Lord, love for others. Love and then joy and then peace and so on. Do you have it? Because right here it says, if I'm truly adopted, I have a Spirit, if I have a Spirit, then I have a love for the Father. Loved ones, we cry out, Daddy. Just this week, I got home, I stepped out of my car. Before I could even really get out of the car, the car door was open, the door to our house opened, and then I heard from my youngest child, I heard the loud expression, Daddy! And then she runs up, and then she gives me a hug, okay? In that moment, there's no question as to whom this daughter belongs to. There's no question. She would not do that with any other man in this world. It's because she belongs to me. There should be no question in our lives if we say we follow the Lord Jesus Christ and belong to God the Father. There should be no question whatsoever as to whom we belong to by the way we cry out, Father, Abba, Daddy, Papa. There should be no question. Do you have it? Is that real for your life? Some of you are here right now, and this is about religion. It's not about relationship. Some of you are here right now. There's never been true life. There's never been true voice. There's never been true heart. There's never been true love. There's never been true adoration. There's never been true affection. It's been a religion. You don't get saved through religion. You get saved through relationship. And when relationship is true, it must flow from the fruit of our lives. And we cry out, Abba, Father. God sent his son to redeem me from sin. God sent his son to adopt me as his own. Thirdly, God sent forth his son to make me an heir to make me an heir. It just seems to get better and better. Look at verse uh, 7 now. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay? Notice the progression. Slave, son, heir. Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. Slave, son, heir. Oh, holy night again. This is the uh, next verse. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love. His gospel is peace. Chains shall he break. We're in slavery to sin. 
he comes. We're saved. Chains he breaks. He breaks us free. For the slave is our brother. Now we proclaim the message to our brothers and sisters also in slavery and sin. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy. Chorus. In grateful chorus raise we. How can you not? You renewed vision, renewed worship, renewed joy. Let all within us praise his holy name. Just tempted to sing it again, right, 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 right? But look what's happening here, the, the beauty of this. Like, when we sing this song in the weeks to come, don't sing it quietly. Sing it with everything you have to express your gratitude that you've been redeemed and adopted and made an heir of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question is right now, and we began this message with, what are we looking at? What are we worshiping? Where's our joy? And really right now, it comes down to the incarnation is, where are you in relation to the manger? The closer you get to this in this Christmas season, this is the opportunity for vision and then worship and then joy, to see the child in the manger. But here's the reality. Uh, some of us, are we, um, are we, are we distant um, are, we, um, are we distracted? And we kind of know he's over there, but we're kind of looking around at everything else but him. Uh, some of us are um, disinterested, disheartened. Taking and allowing the enemy to take the situations of our life to, to uh, be kept away from the reality of the manger. Some of us are, are, are devastated through events of our lives. And the enemy has caused that to be that God doesn't care, God isn't there, and we're not looking at the very person who's the answer to everything we could ever want. Some of us could even be dead. And we've never truly looked at the manger and thought about who's actually in it. But I'm praying this church would be filled with people who are devoted. And as you are devoted, you draw near. And as you draw near, and you look, and you see with worship, you begin to understand there's some very, very powerful truths. As you draw near to the manger, and the first thing that happens is you understand this. Okay? And then as you understand that God sent forth his son, and you understand that he did this to redeem me. And when you marvel at that and the tears fill your eyes and then you understand that not only did he redeem me but now he has called me his own and he has adopted me. And not only has he adopted me, you're like, wow, this is getting better and better but I'm actually a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ now belongs to me because of the love, the grace, and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you're staring upon the manger and you see why the child came, this is what makes all of life make absolute sense. And when you understand all this truth we just went through, as you stare in the manger and knowing he lived and died and rose again, there's really only one other word that can describe all of this, and it's this. Right? 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 Amen. Amen. Bam. Bam. All of life, all of life begins here. All of life is lived here. This is the opportunity that we have right now. So think about it as I begin. Where are you in relation to the manger? Renewed vision, renewed worship, renewed joy.